This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 188, where we're talking about Daredevil, season 3, episode 3, No Good Deed. What's up, fellow Defenders? It is I, Chris Jones, back for Defenders TV podcast episode 188, where we're talking about Daredevil season three, episode three, No Good Deed. We have names for episodes now. Awesome, huh? (laughs) It's amazing. (laughs) I think I got them just in time to put out the first episode. Uh, Got the names just to at least change our website. But yeah, this is our first episode that we're recording the week of release of Daredevil on Netflix. I'm one of your other hosts, Derek. And I'm one of your other hosts, John. Yes, it is I, John. <laughs> yes, the trio is back. Your defenders, your group. We may be missing characters slowly but surely, but wait, don't worry. We're going to whittle it down to just the one fellow defender. Well, That's yes, going to be exactly. a gentleman. Are, you know, are they will... being taken out by Bullseye? Do you think, <laughs> one at a time? Well, I did see the worst meme about the news that we're going to talk about in a second, which is effectively... People have been joking for years that the Netflix TV shows aren't part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, yet with the snap of the fingers, half of the original Defenders have disappeared in a week. So, <laughs> um, which is awful, because this news is not It is good dreadful. News. Yeah. Um, sadly, fellow Defenders, the announcement has come in today that Luke Cage will not be getting a third season on Netflix. Uh, Netflix officially made the announcement alongside Marvel. And we've made the decision to cut that section of our discussion out of this episode with the three of us back with myself, Chris and John all on the episode and our first segment of feedback for Daredevil season three. Uh, we felt the episode just went way too long with our discussion about the cancellation of Luke Cage. If you haven't heard it, you'll see it in the feed previous to this episode. It's about 20 minutes of discussion about that. Um, but suffice to say, we're all a little disappointed or very disappointed at the idea that two of our favorite characters have been cancelled, but mostly with the idea that Luke Cage has been cancelled for creative differences with Netflix. Not good sign. Um, but let's get back on with the episode this episode we're gonna dive deep into the man in black of course our daredevil and the episode no good deed so derek do you want to give us the episode details Sure. This episode was written by Sonny Hoffman. Uh, Sonny Hoffman's been a writer on American Crime, on Private Practice, on Grey's Anatomy, but again, first time over on a Marvel Netflix show. So getting a little bit of uh, another side of the TV world of much more drama shows. I have to say, really good job uh, to Sonny on this show. Really, really enjoyed the writing. Um, the episode was directed by Jennifer Getzinger. Uh, I'm surprised we didn't have a musical number or maybe even a tap dance from Wilson Fisk in this episode because we have spoken about Jennifer before. She's directed three episodes of shows that we've reviewed in the past. Uh, two episodes of Agent Carter, a little song and dance, John, and Hollywood Ending. I think we both loved those yeah, absolutely fantastic musical episodes. But she also directed the excellent Jessica Jones season two, episode seven, which was a.k.a. I Want Your Cray Cray and put that song in our head for months and months after the show was released. And I still occasionally get the wonderful fellow defender who uh, pops up the video for I Want Your Cray Cray on Twitter just to uh, just to antagonize me a little bit more occasionally. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I don't know whether to celebrate Jennifer or uh damn her name it's just every now and again it's i'll just see someone put it up and i'm like oh god damn it it's awesome now it's gonna be in my head for like a day or two or a week <laughs> it is awesome love it love it john do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for this episode sure as matt's hearing returns the first words he hears is wilson fisk 
Learning that Fisk has been released from prison, he makes his way to the presidential hotel where, in the aftermath of the attack on the FBI convoy, Wilson Fisk has been rushed to the secure penthouse. As Matt focuses on trying to get to Fisk in the hotel and find out his motives, he has a very personal devil on his shoulder, dressed in a white suit and feeding his suspicions and fears. Suspicions also rage in the minds of Karen Page and Foggy Bear as they learn of Wilson Fisk's removal from Riker's prison and both try to do their bit to combat the looming threat of Fisk. Meanwhile, in his penthouse jail, Fisk takes a special interest in Special Agent Poindexter, who saved him from the attack, and also looks to protect Vanessa from the Albanians. However, for Ray Nadim, he is in shock as he blames himself for the five dead FBI agents, while Agent Dex Poindexter struggles to find clarity during his psych evaluation between doing his job and protecting the criminal monster that is Wilson Fisk. As Matt attacks Ben Donovan to get intel on Fisk, the dodgy lawyer reports back to his client who now knows the devil of Hell's Kitchen has returned. Can I give a huge round of applause to John there for uh, for saying the name Poindexter twice within that synopsis and not laughing? <laughs> no, I want to. <laughs> well done, John. Poindexter. You Poindexter. Even, you even got Foggy Bear in there as well. I know. And Poindexter, my favourite, favourite, favourite character, new character. Or should I say Agent Milhouse? It is Agent Milhouse. Um, and yeah. It's just such a weird name. It is. But I'm a Poindexter. We are Poindexters. Comic book accurate. And once again, we are not going to be talking about what that character is of the comic books. We will be talking about him in a future episode because I'm sure it's going to be coming up. But comic accurate, that is the name of the character. Or one of his pseudonyms in the comic it, book. It should be, um, you know, the nerd rallying cry. You know, like this is Sparta. This is Poindexter. You know, there is nothing better than him being called Special Agent Poindexter <laughs> as well. <laughs> Who is? Just, but they, you really want him to have the glasses with the tape, mm-hmm. the white tape in the middle. And it's like, are your glasses broken? No. Do you even need glasses? No. no. And you're like, all right, are you just leaning into the Poindexter? And he's going to have that pen clip that sits in the pocket mm-hmm. just yeah. with like with multicolored biros. Yeah. Fellow Defenders, Chris is actually just describing what I look like on Skype at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, that could also be Jack Duckworth for anyone who knows Coronation Street. Um, wow. I don't even <laughs> know that. Tape. Okay. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, he's a creepy point, Dexter, in fairness. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I do love the fact that he is a SWAT. He's a big SWAT sniper, in fact. But I love the fact that he's like Poindexter the SWAT. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. But we will be coming back to Special Agent Poindexter later on in our case notes. Chris, do you want to give us our first case notes? Case note number one. Is Vanessa safe? Is she? I don't know. Well, she's definitely around somewhere. <laughs> she's not in this episode. So there, we're given that. Yeah, she's mm-hmm. dead. Oh, is she? Is she? Oh, the is Algerians? She? <laughs> have the Algerians got her? Ben, ben was a bit like, mm, we haven't found her. Oh, we found her. Oh, no, you can't talk to her. And you're like, oh. Oh, Ben. Oh, Ben, are you, are you lying? That's quite dangerous for Ben, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, starting off, the main part of the episode is we find Ray. Nadim is still alive. Um, for our fellow defenders, I am worried about Ray. Mm-hmm. I do not think he will survive this season, or at least definitely he will survive it through 
being an FBI agent. So you were as nervous as I was when he went face to face with Wilson Fisk and said, we lost a lot of good men getting you here. You should be more grateful. Yeah, Ray. Do you know anything about Wilson Fisk? Do you know what he does to people who stand up to him? Yeah. It was just like, there's a car door right over there. What are you doing? Be careful. (laughs) He could literally teleport it and still bash you in with it. Mm -hmm. You were on the... 65th floor of a of a hotel which you know has windows um also yeah. you know not so good and uh, it is said that obviously special agent point dexter saved as many as he could mm-hmm. but still a lot of good men died yes. during this operation um i'm not it was interesting so fisk arrives we, he's got have we been introduced to the second lawyer yet? Because we know Ben, yeah. but there is this, this second lawyer. I, I don't know his name, unfortunately. We haven't been given his name yet, and he doesn't actually have many lines in general. Ben does seem to be kind of leading uh, a lot here. It's quite interesting. I love that we get a lot more of Ben Donovan in this episode. He was fantastic in Luke Cage Season 2. For those of you who didn't watch that show, uh, he had that kind of slimy lawyer attitude a lot of the time and very much walked away from his client when they couldn't pay his bills. This one, it feels like he's sticking very close to Wilson first because <laughs> yeah. even if he can't pay his bills, well, you know, his life also matters. That's also a way of paying him, keeping him alive. Yeah, I don't think he's going to walk away from this client. Um, otherwise, he will never walk again. Absolutely. And he does deliver one of my favorite lines in the episode as Fisk is calling out over all the FBI agents. I need to know Vanessa is safe. The response from Ben, ben Donovan with, my client is not admitting that he knows how to contact a wanted fugitive. <laughs> Just a fantastic lawyer mode in yeah, it was good, wasn't it? I mean, it, this was really interesting. You know, in that moment where Ray confronts uh, Wilson Fisk, you kind of get the idea or you get that feeling back that, okay, maybe Ray Nadine is an above board uh, FBI special agent here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he even with his sort of confrontation with um, Karen outside the front of the hotel, you know, he repeats that mantra of, these five officers died today. You know, he also goes to the hospital as well, and he's there speaking with his boss. He's blaming himself. Uh, so you really do get that feeling uh, from these few moments, and certainly this initial moment that okay, maybe Ray Nadim, you know, given our speculation in episodes one and two, maybe isn't the Wilson Fisk plant within the FBI kind of special unit, um, and that possibly. Uh, he is an above-board FBI agent, mm-hmm. or he's a damn fine actor, which of course he is anyway in this show. Yeah. But um, you know, he—he's—it's—it's it's again, it's just nice. It mixes it up for me with regards to this new character, mm-hmm. and I—I I thought that was uh, something where I was like, okay, this guy does seem above board, although he does have a massively angry, intense stir when he hugs his wife in the hospital when she realizes he's alive, you know, they didn't die in that convoy mm-hmm. and it, it looked really evil. And I was like, okay, is this that he's going to get back at Wilson Fisk? You know, so Wilson Fisk was in danger with the Albanians for, for making the deal with the FBI. Maybe he's in a little bit of danger now from Ray Nadim. Um, so maybe he should be worrying about himself. Maybe not so much um, Vanessa, who he's not supposed to know where she is at all. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, possibly, possibly. Just to point out, Chris, because I know you haven't heard our first two episodes yet. Yes, we were wondering whether Ray Nadim is under the influence of Wilson Fisk. Is he doing what Wilson Fisk has asked him to do? Because we did get introduced to him as a man with money problems uh, at the beginning of the series. But this episode does seem to put a little bit of a fine point on the fact that he's really angry with Fisk for the loss of his men. So and loss of the people in the FBI because they had to pull Fisk out of prison. 
So I am getting the sense that he was chosen because of his money issues. I believe that he is angry with Fisk for his men getting killed is because that was never part of the agreement. Right. Their agreement was to get Fisk out. This is how they will do it. This is the operation. Fisk has masterminded all this. This kind of leads us into case note number two. So we'll talk more about it in there. But there, there seems to be already a master plan unfolding or being scraped away by certain characters um, to see that th- this has all been Fisk's plan to get out. Maybe, yeah. And maybe. I think Ray, unfortunately, has been part of the problem. He probably has been given a large sum of cash to solve his financial issues. Um, and the the death of the agents was not part of it. I do wonder about that, though. Like, I do have the question, because obviously Tammy, his boss, says that she's been watching his credit rating, and that's why he didn't get the promotion. So if suddenly his credit rating all clears up after getting, getting Fisk out of prison... Um, you know, they're probably going to notice that as well. Ah, uh, they, they won't actually do that. It would be more like, here's an offshore bank account. Yeah, yeah, possibly, possibly. Which we'll, would we'll be see. even more suspicious. <laughs> Very true. Suddenly he's, his name. suddenly he's not out of debt, but he has access to millions and millions of dollars <laughs> yeah. of offshore money. He's going to the Cayman Islands really very frequently. <laughs> but yeah, that, let's just quickly clean up the uh, the point itself, the is Vanessa safe on case note number one. We do hear from Ben uh, Donovan when he comes back to the hotel after doing his investigation, he finds out that she had just gone off-grid in Spain. Um, this, I think, is a comic book reference. I remember a Brubacker arc where um, the character of Vanessa Fisk is off in a mansion in southern Europe, but I don't know whether it was actually Spain that she was in. But yes, so there is there is a reference there that she is off, off grid. Um, Fisk is now saying that he wants her back close to home and wants her safe. So he does want her back in America and wants her safe. So interesting. Is she alive? I think she is. I think it would be a very, very stupid person that tells Wilson Fisk that the woman that he loves is alive when she's not. Like, I would just get out of there. If I was Ben and called and found out that she was dead, I would never, ever return to that hotel. I'm not going to be the messenger. (laughs) That might be what the other lawyer's for. Maybe. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Two things I just want to call out before we close off this point. The first is the cameras being turned off so they can talk with the client in private. Mm. That has been, in this episode, was called out three times specifically we were shown the camera being turned off. This will come up again somehow. 100%. And there is a really interesting moment as Wilson Fisk walks down the stairs and Ben tells him to turn off the cameras for this conversation, as in, we can't have this on record that you know anything about Vanessa. You see the camera behind Wilson Fisk's head as he says, don't turn them off. I want this conversation. The whole way through, you see a camera behind his head with the red light on. So yeah. that moment is absolutely being recorded. So we know that for, for definite. This is the one that's coming back, definitely. And then the second is the they're walking upstairs and you actually see the red light turn off. Yes. We see Agent Point Dexter uh, in the office with the cameras mm-hmm. watching the video feeds. So definitely this will come back somehow later on. Uh, and then just a, a nice little nod. Derek, I'm going to let you take this one because this, I think, is the, one of the most fun Puntastic puns that we saw throughout this episode. I love these. This idea that the hotel is under siege by people in on the streets of New York who've realized that you know Wilson Fisk has gone from Rikers Island to this mansion that he's now living in in this hotel, and suddenly it's under siege by all the protesters with their signs. I want to know from someone in the production: was that the writer that came up with the uh, with the signs that they're carrying, or did everybody have a go and see what ones they could come up with? My two favorites that I saw, the two signs that I saw, one is Tisk Tisk Fisk, which I love. I think that's really, really good. And a sign of not the greatest of protesters. It's like, 
Mr. Fisk, you've had you've you've done bad things. And then the second one, which is stop and fisk him. Not stop and frisk him. Stop and fisk him. <laughs> that was the best one. That was the best one for me. I saw that. that I didn't yeah. see the tisk tisk fist. I saw the stop and fisk him, but I went, yeah, yeah that, that well done. Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Double meaning protesting, or possibly double entendre uh, for one of them. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I'm hoping that we get a behind the scenes shot of some of these. So I'm hoping some of the set designers or something will release it after the fact in a couple mm-hmm. of weeks, the days going, hey, look at this so if any of the show writers are listening we would be appreciative if you could maybe send us one or two shots maybe just dm them to us because i just really want to see what the other ones are mm-hmm. i know there is more i just can't make them out in the shots i was absolutely trying to pay attention to find the best ones those are the two best i could find so gentlemen i think it's that time we move on to case note number two mm-hmm. speaking of double meanings uh, case note number two karen is set up in multiple ways in this episode uh, <laughs> first off ellison her wonderful editor is trying to give her a bit of happiness back into her life by setting her up with her his nephew who also works for the newspaper as well, right? Yes, I got that oppression, but not as a journalist. Yes, yes. But there is that moment when Karen realizes is just horrible. Well, not so much realizes as uh, Ellison's wife goes, the reason we have such a long marriage is because we met the same way you and Jason did. And Karen's going, we what? <laughs> we were also set up by our former editor. It's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it took me a second to cop. I literally had the same face as I was watching this as Karen. I was like... What? Huh? Oh, oh. <laughs> she does go, what do you, oh, no. Oh, excuse me. Uh, and then she goes, excuse She does the whole polite, excuse me, one second. And then we she's need like. more wine. I need yes. more wine. <laughs> and then you see Alison come in. He goes, don't look at me. And I'm like, it was your plan. <laughs> you were complicit in it, Alison. <laughs> But yeah, no, it was good. And then we get some stories about Jason and back history that I do not think was any way necessary. <laughs> we know he's a cat man. Okay, that's fine. Um, and then he he then trips over himself and asks Karen about her family, yeah. which I am loving the fact. Sorry, and I wasn't here. Fellow vendors, as you know, I was not here the last two episodes. Um, I, I'm happy that we are now getting this backstory. We have the story of Karen's um family and mm-hmm. her brother so we now know this is trigger point and looking back at like the last two seasons and beyond it, it makes sense of why she gets upset it's just nice to have it out there isn't it because i was saying to john in the last episode that um back in season one i remember pausing the uh, a headline a newspaper headline from karen's past and it mentioned a brother dead in a car crash or somebody with a page type name dead in a car crash and we were going speculating all the way back then that this is what caused this history for the character of Karen Page and then two seasons and three and a half years have passed and finally it's up there on screen and we're going to see more about it I'm sure we're going to see some more backstory of Karen as the episodes go on but it's so nice to have something really tangible for Karen to do and something really tangible to hang her character and what she's doing and why she is the style of character that she is it's finally good to have that on the show because in the past her motivation has just been because she likes Matt is kind of her only motivation in the past. And because Ben O'Rourke died, 
That's kind of it. But at least we have a little bit more of her past. There's definitely other things that happened to her before she arrived in New York that fateful week. Yeah, I think we said that last episode, you know, it's really nice seeing uh, some of her backstory threads come through here. Um, I think I really like the setup here of Mm -hmm. Karen uh, with Ralph Ellison and that kind of real awkwardness around the uh, dinner table. But I think, you know, to the case note, to title Karen is set up she's not only set up personally here but there is this setup that she's investigating through her work with the newspaper and I think that's the 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 best indicator so far of um possibly how ruthless and how uh, conniving uh Wilson Fisk is to um actually plan and organize the events that have unfolded mm. uh, here. I, th- I think it's really interesting. And I mean, even in this episode, um, you know, it's this revelation that the Kasemis, um, the, the, the guy and his daughter who were mugged, um, in episode one, uh, that they used to own this hotel that now Wilson Fisk is being held securely. Um, and that it's, it was bought by nested companies, um, like the Cayman Islands. Um, so again, maybe Ray's uh, a bank account is coming through this nested company, which is represented by Donovan and Partners. Mm-hmm. So there's these tangible links now coming through, or at least that, you know, she needs to investigate these further uh, because after he had bought this hotel, the Kasamis want it back again. And then all of a sudden there is this mugging. He's hop- hospitalized. Um, so I, I like this. I, I like this idea that Karen is the one. She is an investigative reporter. She's been told to stay away from it uh, by Ellison because of bias. But I like that she goes after it. And I like how she twists it to say, well, actually, I am investigating my story mm-hmm. of the Kasemis. And there's this link to uh, Wilson Fisk. And you just kind of think, what are the juicy details as to why um, they were brought to this hotel um, after the attack they're in the penthouse that is already wired up for um the videos there's the um there's the security scanner as well so um and if donovan has been able to see those plans you know is it somewhere that wilson fisk will be able to escape from or is it just that he now knows how secure this place is and Mm -hmm. it's on his turf so he's happy enough with that so um yeah I, I like this. I, I, it's that master planner, isn't it, of Wilson Fisk, exactly. the, the the guy that really makes sure that he is in the driving seat. I think the interesting thing as well, okay, he, he could have learnt it from Donovan or the other lawyer at any moment, but I like the fact that, you know, when the cameras are out, I think it's when he's having his um, his lunch and he gets that tray, you know, with all, all the different compartments. And then he, he takes his special interest in special agent poindexter he knows his name yeah um straight off the bat he knows his name um and i'm like going is there just some really easy explanation for that or does he know his name because um he has hired this guy previously not directly there was that hint of a certain character in season one again a sniper um so has he hired this person before does he know him but has never met him um and uh you know because he he asked that question how do you acquire such special skills mm-hmm. um it was a really interesting conversation and i think again it just 
it just neatly pads and shrouds as well and connects with what Karen is looking at here. Uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying this element of it yeah. because either Wilson Fisk is this master of deceit and planning or Wilson Fisk is a really lucky guy. You're right. It would be hugely lucky if this agreement that he's made with the FBI to be allowed not stay in Rikers Island because he could get shivved by anybody walking past to go into a secure location just happens to be the building that you bought, you know, a couple of months ago. And when Kazemi said during this particular week that he was thinking of trying to get it back, then you beat him up and send him to hospital. Like, you know, there's definitely some serious importance on it. But I do love this. As I say, I love what they've given to Karen here. This felt like a real investigation. This felt like almost like an Aaron Brockovich level of investigation that Karen's done there overnight. It feels like they're really building up her character. I love how impressed Ellison is with her work, which we've yeah. had referred to a few times in season two and season one, that she's out, she's good at her job, that she's very good. But we've not seen it in action, really, I think, up until this moment when Ellison's looking at it going... And you got all this in one night. You are a great reporter, but you can't have the story. <laughs> you know, he's still treating her like the father that she doesn't have anymore. He's still going to her. You know, if you take the story on it comes out with the name Karen Page on it, you're dead. You're out of this and I can't lose somebody else like I lost Ben. Uh, there is more to this story, and I, I, I kind of alluded to it in our previous case note. I think Dex is in on it. I think Ray is in on it. Donovan is 100%. The hotel is part of it. They they ordered the, the kidnappers. I think that this is a wild, elaborate scheme. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. What I am interested in seeing is the fact that they're showing us or alluding to a lot of these points kind of maybe... There's going to be twists and turns. Oh, yeah. So characters that we think are 100% in on it, like Ray, are probably not going to be in on it just yet. What I really enjoy about these shows is usually when we expect them to zig, they zag. Mm -hmm. Like maybe Tammy, the head of the FBI, is in on it and didn't want Ray to be in because he wasn't beyond reproach like everybody else that's involved. Because there would be fingers pointed at Ray because of the problems that he's had with his cash flow in the past. Like that's maybe the reason he will be the good cop yeah. and will discover all the other bad people around him. You know, is that the reason why when, when Fisk walked into the building, he confidently shouted across to Ben Donovan, get in contact with Vanessa? Is it because he knows he's surrounded by people that he's already paid off, people that are already in his pocket, that he doesn't care if stuff is on camera because, well, everybody watching those yeah. cameras are people that work for him anyway, you know? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, even Blake Tower um, mm-hmm. whether the DA is somehow in on this oh, yeah. um, just because of his, his conversation. And I suppose we co- we'll come to this uh, in a later case note, but with, with Foggy Bear. So mm-hmm. um, really, yeah, who's not in his pocket? You see this in the responses of Karen and Foggy and of Matt in hearing um, his name out loud on the news or through the the mobile phone, mm-hmm. you really get that sense that they know he's trouble. They know what he's capable of. So, yeah, it's really it's really excellent. And you even hear it from Ellison in his home when Karen says his name. He goes, you can't say that in my house. I've gotten to the point where I, I only have to call my wife once an hour now to tell her that I'm alive because she's so scared because she was such good friends with Ben Yurick. And knowing that someone in the Bolton worked for Wilson Fisk is enough for her to make me want to stay at home, you know? He's still terrified of Fisk. I love yeah. this kind of idea of Wilson Fisk effectively being the Voldemort of the Marvel television universe, you know? You don't say his name because that might bring him out and attack <laughs> you and kill you, you know? Really cool. Yeah, you don't have to worry about Candyman. Candyman you can take on. Uh-huh. 
Wilson Fisk, that's a whole other story. <laughs> so speaking of imaginary characters, case number three, Matt has a devil on his shoulder now. And Fisk is that devil. Nice, Gentlemen, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. I, I'm quite get. I'm learning about these seg- segues. <laughs> it's only taken me 187 episodes. You could even go beyond, which is Matt has a devil on his shoulder. And I think that devil killed the angel on the other one mm-hmm. because uh, this is getting interesting. First of all, Matt is full on imagining the devil on his shoulder as being Fisk. Mm-hmm. And oh, Fisk in a white suit, by the way. Oh, of mm-hmm. course. Oh, yeah. Very, very nice. So this personification of Fisk is really out to get Matt's hackles up, to enrage him, to lead him down the dark path. This is Matt's own psyche as well. So this is even worse. It's Matt is really spiraling in a... I never thought Matt was this bad. And I think that's kind of what we're expected to believe, which is, yes, he had a dark side, but that dark side was kept in check by the light he did. So the question what we now start to see is Matt cracking and personifying the psychosis of seeing Fisk. Mm-hmm. And then the the ghost of Fisk, or ghost of Fisk past, whatever, Christmas past, Christmas mm-hmm. future, whatever way we want to call it, telling him, like, God saw you try to kill yourself. That is the reason this is happening. Mm-hmm. Like, he's no longer with you. So surfacing Matt's deepest, darkest fears in the shape or the vision of Fisk, Mm -hmm. his greatest enemy. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, what we've seen in the first two episodes of the show is that Matt is completely rudderless at the moment. He has no friends. The family that he does have in Lantham and Sister Maggie, who is someone that he knows from childhood when he was in the orphanage, those are not people that uh, you can go and cry on their shoulders. Sister Maggie keeps telling him, you know, just get over it, basically. You've had problems before, just get over it. In the past, he would have gone to Father Lantham, given his confession, taken his prayers, and then walked away and kind of cured himself by using God in the past. This is a rudderless Matt Murdock who has this, as you say, personification of Fisk right behind him all the time going, you're a bad person, you're a horrible person, you're an awful person, (laughs) and he has nobody else to depend on anymore. It's a fabulous, fabulous way of doing it in this show. Really, really enjoyed it, because you also start to question, hang on a second, is Fisk actually doing anything wrong here since he got out of prison, or are we just following our main character of Matt Murdock and agreeing with him because we saw what Fisk was like in the past? Fisk was in prison, he's giving up information to save his girlfriend Vanessa, or his fiance Vanessa. That's the story that's being presented to us on screen by every scene that we've seen with Fisk. Matt is the one that's telling us. This broken version of Matt Murdock is the one that's telling us, ah, that can't, that can't be all of it. Fisk's a bad guy. He can't change, right? So mm, isn't, that, yeah. isn't that the scary part about the show? That they've written it so well into episode three that we're going, ah, yeah, but you know, it's Fisk. He's got to be a bad guy. He hasn't done anything wrong at all throughout the season so far, but we're looking at Matt and going... He's probably right. He's our good guy, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is absolutely fantastic because it does play with your expectations because ultimately this is the projection of Matt's own psychosis, mm-hmm. you know, the the damage he's gotten at the hands of Wilson Fisk, what he knows that Wilson Fisk can do. And it, it is that thing where he is immediately going after him because he's out of prison. Um, yet, so far, you can 
assume, maybe not correctly. You know, Wilson Fisk has a lot of tentacles throughout New York. We saw that um, in season one, but certainly he's not done anything correct. And, you know, there are people saying all his deal-making will allow New York to get safer. It was like one of our points. Mm -hmm. New York is safer today because of Wilson Fisk, not because of Matt Murdock. Um, But I love the fact that this projection, it's his own fears and... It all congregates around Wilson Fisk. And I think how this is done is really, really good. It's a great way as well of getting Fisk into that classic white suit from the comics as well. That yeah. he's, he's wearing that. The fact that he's, you know, just out of focus, that the depth of field is done in a way to bring that soft focus. Uh, really good. Um, and each time he's just goading uh, Matt. Matt is goading himself in fact Mm -hmm. he it's almost is this him giving him that pep talk to to really keep him on wilson fisk at all times you know ultimately leads to him having that sort of run in with ben donovan in in the car park um to to get information you know what is his true motives here and matt just doesn't and can't believe that Wilson Fisk is doing something honourable. Yeah. Um, and that is really what is driving him here. And that snowball rolling down the hill is getting bigger and bigger and bigger each time he thinks about it and yeah. each time his own psychosis brings that little white devil on his shoulder of Wilson Fisk telling him, I won, you're going to get more people killed. God has left you, you name it. Um, you know, he he's making sure that... He's undermining himself with, mm-hmm. with all of this. And he even uh, voices that other concern of, wouldn't it be something, says Fisk to Matt, wouldn't it be something if I became more valuable to this city than you yeah. ever were? You know, that moment where, again, he's kind of going, he's my enemy, I put him in prison, and now all he has to do is turn a bit of evidence to the to the FBI and he gets a mansion, you know? he's Matt is basically living on the streets. He's a homeless guy right now. Uh, he's just being taken into the church. So the, the kind of juxtaposition between the two of these characters is great because well, it's being played out within Matt's head as well. Yeah, I have to say Matt Murdock did look slightly out of place in, presidential, <laughs> in the presidential hotel uh-huh. um, in his kind of... I don't bit hobo gear. Yeah, his hobo gear. I mean, even with Poindexter saying, "Where's your badge?" I am kind of like going, "Okay, Poindexter, I can now see why you are a SWAT sniper mm-hmm. and not a detective or special agent." <laughs> because I'm kind of there going, "He's got cuts on his face. Mm-hmm. He's not shaved. He's wearing a bin man kind of a jacket. Dirty man. He's looking here. really dirty and hoboy, as you say, Chris. And why would he be going up to the you know?" whatever floor of a five-star hotel unless it's like some kind of new hipstery thing um to to smell of bins or something i don't know but he he looks in proper sort of dire straits and looks a little out of place here Mm -hmm. i'm surprised he didn't raise any kind of suspicion um so yeah but i i love this I, i thought it was just really nicely done um how Matt and Wilson Fisk, that that connection there, and and it playing out in the, in his own kind of psychosis. I thought mm-hmm. that was superb, and I like how going back to um, the the orphanage, you know, he has that moment where he shares um, this stuff with Sister Maggie, and it's a bit like you you were saying about whether 
Um, well, he's actually not done anything wrong. And Sister Maggie here says, you know, you're potentially being incredibly narcissistic here if, you know, the moment um, you get your hearing back, it was God that let this criminal out of Riker's Island um, to bait you, just, just to taunt you, yeah. you, just to taunt you. How self-centered are you? Um, and, you know, she makes the point, if anything maybe were to redeem a lost soul, it is the love... Uh, that he has for Vanessa in trying to protect her. Again, it may just be this act because I think, uh, as Chris, as you mentioned previously, uh, you kind of do get the feeling that all his pawns are kind of set around him here playing a very good act. It's really interesting then that we have this Sister Maggie turn speaking with Matt Murdock back at the the orphanage yeah yeah exactly i love that she's saying to him well my entire life is dedicated and based on the idea of love and forgiveness where are you getting your ideas from matt <laughs> i know he's a bad christian at the moment he certainly is, he yeah. isn't one he's renounced he hasn't renounced no maybe um, he's not but he's certainly cheesed off exactly i think that's the thing it, it, it's kind of like yeah it's it, you know when your sister or your brother really annoys yeah. you to the point where you're like, I'm disowning you. I'm he's, running yeah, away. He's having a hissy fit. He's having a hissy fit with God, kind of going, I'm disowning you. I never want to see you again. Mm. Okay, see you later. Bye-bye now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you in the morning. I'm sorry. Thanks. Can you leave me some beer and some beer money? Thanks. Um, yeah, but this does lead to one of the best fight scenes, I think, this season. Mm. Um, what we get over the, the previous two we've had so far, this one really is... Derek, I think you wrote this, and I think it kind of sums it up best. It's the Apex Predator Matt. Yes, Apex Predator Matt, yes. Um, You know, in all of these shows that we've seen on Netflix so far, all of them, all five of them, I've never wanted a computer game of any of the characters until this moment of Matt in the car park going after all the people around uh, around him you know that moment where he's doing the stealth mode Matt uh, at the beginning he's doing it uh, kind of Metal Gear Solid kind of moment yeah. where he's, he's watching and listening to the keypad and that allows him after just two tries to be able to get this keypad in this really secure FBI hotel you know to get inside so that's the start of the computer <laughs> game for me and then we have that moment where he does yeah, the stealth to get around some of the guards in the in the car park. It's awesome. Maybe I've played way too much Spider-Man on my second playthrough right now. Uh, yeah, it, it might be. I mean, there's that moment where he kind of, he, he touches one of the FBI agents to look the other way as he then moves into a seamless side plank right so next cool. to the yeah. car. I'm like going... Oh, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness. I mean, you know, for for the episode two spoiler post, we put up a picture of Wilson Fisk in the gym with a massive, massive, like, kind of beer belly. And mm-hmm. I'm like going, yeah, that's more me in the gym if I ever get there. <laughs> right. Whereas, you know, Daredevil moves seamlessly and effortlessly into a side plank. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was pretty cool, I have to say, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just definitely um just just smacked of pure apex predator as you say i really um thought though 
you know, he was kind of beating down on FBI agents here. I thought he kind of maybe lost himself a bit. Oh, by in, the end, absolutely. In that kind of fight moment. Um, but the fighting was really good. Well, we see the reappearance of Fisk right at the end of the fight, saying to him, let the devil out. You know, the tagline yeah. for this season is let the devil out. And it's spoken by Fisk to Matt when he's standing over the top of FBI agents, police officers, government officers. He's standing over them and beating the crap out of them until they pass out. You know, this is not our Matt Murdock from season one and two and defenders this is a lost matt murdoch uh, one other thing i just want to compliment the show on and possibly the director or the fight choreographer for this episode there's a fabulous moment within the fight i don't know whether you caught this chris where charlie cox or chris brewster chris brewster is, is charlie's stunt double i don't know which one of them is behind the mask at this particular moment but there's a great moment within the fight where they pause for just a half a second more than a sighted person would in that moment it's when the gun is being cocked to be shot at him and he's waiting for that sound of the gun being cocked to go. And it's like a three, two, one and go rather than yeah. a three, two, one. And it, it really feels like this would be the way that Daredevil would fight. He would wait for that movement in the air so that he knows exactly where the body of his opponent is so he can take them down. It's just really, really well done. And I haven't noticed that in the previous seasons. I definitely noticed it in this fight and it just was so good. But no, no, you're right. It is. I, I've noticed that they, they've stepped up the game with the, um, the choreography, fight choreography in this, in this season. Mm. And even as you said, we don't know whether it was Chris or Charlie who was in the suit at this point, but actually in the black suit versus the full Daredevil suit, what we are seeing is a more, I don't want to say acrobatic because it's it's more flexible, a more flexible, I more think so. a more kind of spinny, flattening, kind of stealthy. If you know what I mean, he he is a bit more. Less boxer fight. Okay. Style. Yeah. This episode definitely, we actually commented on it last episode that in comparison to the 10 episode season of Iron Fist that we just watched, who is a kung fu fighter, you could absolutely tell that the roots of what Matt does in this season is from boxing. There's definitely some moments where he lands a few extra punches, like you see with the FBI agents, where only a boxer could hit that hard at that mm. moment you know um but yeah definitely see in this episode there's, there's much more of a style and a flow to what he's doing exactly and i think to agree with you it is its precursor is boxing mm-hmm. um and that's where it has come from but i think it is very much he is now starting to do the the, the spinning around and the moving on his knees and flipping up he didn't flip up he just kind of kicked up i think but it was just very interesting to see that if we think back to the daredevil of the ben affleck film <laughs> do he we ever was, think like, back to that i do sometimes because <laughs> i still remember the the is it lovingly seesaw Chris? it is because i love that seesaw scene seesaw scenes the seesaw wow. scene. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's been... How many years have we known each other, Chris? Uh, way too many at this like, point. Al- almost 20 years, I think. We're, we're close w- to that. And I have never heard one other person say that they like the seesaw scene. <laughs> <laughs> That's with the how rain, many... isn't it? On the... No, no. This is where he's dressed as Matt Murdock. And he's play fighting Electra. Oh, but yeah. he's using the cane. And he, they're, they're jumping and flipping. and. But it is Electra, isn't it? Yeah. It Definitely. is, yeah. yeah. How many more years are we going to know each other, Chris? Because I'm questioning that now. Yeah, exactly. That's... <laughs> After that admission, I think those years might be finite. <laughs> Let me just say, in the comic books, Daredevil is very athletic, very acrobatic. As, and I think that's what I... Th- now seeing these fight scenes, mm-hmm. looking back on the previous fight scenes, they were more boxing, very rooted. He was not... a 
he was not so much the the run jump spin. He's definitely more chunky Daredevil rather than uh, and like Daredevil to me, you know, wears lycra, not armor. So I, you know, he's kind of like a gymnast. He he's got his yes. kind of gymnastic sticks, and he he's he's bounding down the the middle of the road, doing a bit few flips, few pommel horses. I I sometimes also wondered whether um. Just the fact that they had that suit on, a bit like with Batman, oh, yeah. that idea that it may, it was a bit more difficult to get that more fluid movement mm-hmm. going. Whereas now that he's back in um, the, the the black uh, get-up, obviously that's just... Back in black! Yeah. Yeah! <laughs> Rock out! I can't think of the tune. I just had to kind of like go with it there. Sorry, fellow defenders. Um, I like that it's still the boxing back ground to it mm-hmm. that it, it seems to have evolved from that but you're right it's definitely um more uh flexible he's like an access card he's our flexible friend <laughs> access card for our fellow defenders who lived through the 80s <laughs> <laughs> on that note yeah I, I love these scenes with matt really really enjoyed let's get on to our next point our case note number four foggy bears having nightmares and hallucinations in this episode. Poor Foggy Bear. Poor Foggy Bear. Foggy, of all the characters, seems to be getting hit pretty hard uh, in this season. What I like about these scenes where he's sitting on the couch with Marcy, he's he's back with Marcy, he's now permanent girlfriend, they seem to be living together, so his life is going quite well. But what I like about it is he wakes up to the nightmare sitting beside her and has a discussion where they're talking about his life and effectively saying, you know, he's working at a pretty prestigious law firm, making a hell of a lot of money. That apartment looks amazing in New York, like the view that he has on the city of New York from outside New York, one of the boroughs anyway, um, looks fantastic. He's got this gorgeous girlfriend, as he says. Um, he's got a great got a great life. But then you've got Matt, and in his head, Matt's in the grave, and I've got all of this. you know. So he's going through his own surfing at that. It, it, it's tough to see the character of Foggy in this because we have seen, actually we've seen Foggy grow even slightly more than we've seen macro mm-hmm. because he has crossed over to other series. This is tough because it is like, it's, Hey, my best friend died in in my mind. I'm the one who killed him because I gave him that suit. Mm-hmm. I forced him to go out. So there is survivor's guilt in this very much. So, yeah. yeah. But then what was it? Is it laughing? Matt crying? Matt? I think she said screaming Matt or crying. And he goes, no, it was laughing Matt. Um, and when yeah. he wakes up from that nightmare and you go, wow, you're, you're having nightmares where your best friend is laughing at you or with you or something where wow, that's that's tough then he does see he checks his phone as we all do after we wake up and first thing he yeah. sees the uh, first thing he sees is fisk is out so he freaks out a bit let's be fair so we do get we get to see blake tower back again after mm-hmm. the last episode and we get to see that blake is running for re-election as DA. Or election yeah. as district attorney, because I don't think he was elected as di- district attorney. I think he took over the job when the previous one uh, was killed. By the Punisher? Yeah. So I, I assumed, unless he's going for something, whatever, something that's above DA. No, I think he's going for re-election. So I think he's he's stayed yeah. the term that he took over from the last DA and, and he's, he's going, now going yeah. for re-election. But yeah. it is really interesting. I love this moment with Foggy because you feel they've definitely dealt with each other before. They have a reasonably good relationship. But you see this moment with Foggy where he's offering his services for completely free. He's doing it all pro bono just to help the city put Kingpin back behind bars. And as we kind of referenced earlier on, is Blake Tower in the pocket of Kingpin? Is that why he agreed to this deal that got... Fisk out of prison because he doesn't seem to ever actually say that to Foggy. 
He doesn't ever say to him that the FBI came to me with this offer and I signed it. So I'm I'm in total agreement that this is the right thing to do. He kind of lets Foggy say his piece and then tells him to go to leave. It's interesting, isn't it? Because he does really keep that back from uh, Foggy that, uh, you know, he was in that room when they had that discussion that this move seems to be both the federal and New York, uh, or at least the city of New York district attorney, that it's an agreement there between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, it was always seemed to be the police commissioner that was kind of going, this is rotten. Yeah. Um, you didn't really get much sense of that coming from Blake, Blake Tower. So uh, this was really interesting. I think it kind of was what made us kind of think, well... Is he above board here? Um, And again, here with Foggy, I suppose the big thing for me as well, I didn't realize Foggy had moved up the food chain of uh, the legal practice as much as he had done with that apartment, but also that, you know, he's giving some kind of personal contribution to his re-election. Yeah. So uh, I think it's 1500 It's not too much, but he is cancelling the check at, at the end of it. <laughs> uh-huh. um, Remember, folks, if you're going to put sponsorship or support behind a possible district attorney who could possibly be in the pocket of a kingpin of crime, make sure you pay by check so you can cancel the check when you don't get what you want. Really important. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I think, um, you know, you see how Mrs. Cardenas um, had affected Foggy as well. You know, he brings this up again yeah. uh, as a real pointed gesture to, to Blake Tower uh, saying, well, you know, she can't vote for you. Uh, yet she was killed and murdered because she wouldn't move out of her home. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Foggy here really does show his more sensitive side, uh, the Foggy Bear with his nightmares, hallucinations and and certainly uh, teary-eyed look-backs across his life. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's really affecting him. And, uh, yeah, th- this was really good. I think then, you know, later on, towards the end of the episode, we have that moment where you go, yay, you know, Foggy and Matt are back in a bar. I don't think it's Josie's. I don't think it's Josie's bar. And then, unfortunately, Matt speaks. And you're like, you have the harshest way of reconnecting with your friends uh, in the sense that he doesn't want to reconnect with them at all. Mm-hmm. He wants them to stay as far away as possible. Um, they really shouldn't be looking out for him now that he knows that he's alive. Uh, and Foggy really shouldn't tell Karen that he is alive. Uh, this is a is seemingly all to protect them. But wow, 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 wow. I'm surprised. And I, I mean, I completely agree with Foggy, you know, how dare you, first of all, just walk in here and go, hi, I'm alive, and then just preach. Yeah, no wonder you're not into God anymore because you're taking all the preaching away from him at the moment. <laughs> I felt really sorry for Foggy here. He's just seen his friend and former partner come back. He's alive. He's overjoyed. And he's not hallucinating from all the, the drink he's been having. And then he just kind of gets shot down. It's like, and don't bother contacting me again. Mm -hmm. You know, I think uh, Matt goes, Matt Murdoch isn't going to be around anymore. I'm leaving him behind. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, so proper full-on transformation in the harshest possible way here. Absolutely. Harsh. I was certainly misty-eyed. Not foggy-eyed, misty-eyed. Good. Well done. Well done. That was a good pun. Um, 
more and more I'm disliking Matt's character and that's what the way they're trying to make us feel mm-hmm. that Matt is going through something so therefore he's putting everyone else through it he's caring about himself only etc etc this will change they'll have a come to Jesus moment literally um, and <laughs> what we'll get is what I don't understand is we do see it, it has hurt Matt by the way because you see that as Matt leaves he walks outside down the stairs mm. he he takes two seconds that you could see it, the way that Charlie Cox portrays it is that he does have, Oh, I had to do that. And then he pulls out the wallet and the ID <laughs> and you're like, yeah. are you sad that you had to steal from your friend? Are you sad that you had to be quite mean and kind of beyond harsh to your friend? Um, it, the question does become, what is happening to this character? Or like, are you not sad at all? Were you just reaching in your pocket to take out his wallet of thousands of dollars and his ID card for work? You know, that's harsh. That's really harsh. This is a different yeah. Matt. He would never have done that in the past. Was this whole conversation with Foggy just to get his hands on the wallet? Did he really care about him at all? You know, true. Um, it's it's such a harsh moment. And it, you do this with Foggy, of course. Foggy Bear, you know, introducing him <laughs> in this episode for, with Marcy, his girlfriend, calling him Foggy Bear in a really cute way, setting him up as the teddy bear for the episode and then by the end of the episode you have his best friend effectively coming back from the grave and going i never ever should have made friends with you like what yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely i mean i do like foggy's riposte that you know really really good it is isn't it really really good yeah, yeah. yeah. I, i'm interested to see where this goes mm-hmm. but unfortunately we still have another point that we must dive into before we can move into yes, another point episode Dexter, four in fact hi damn it man you stole my lad <laughs> that was <laughs> brilliant that. no that. no no that's that was a nice segue yes i'm talking about case note number five special agent point dexter mm-hmm. he's we, a swath he really is he is big swath. yeah we get confirmation of who we think he was from season one this he was a SWAT sniper, mm-hmm. um, and I'm confused. Is he still with SWAT team, or is he now been promoted to FBI tactical forces? There's a bit of confusion around for me. That oh, I think he's FBI SWAT. I think he call. I think he actually says it to the psychologist that he is an FBI SWAT yeah. sniper. That's where we got the title of his role. He wasn't called. It was the police that was in season one, not yeah. SWAT. Yeah, so it's. Interesting to say he's okay. He's had career progression since that moment where we first saw him. Yeah, it's four years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. And then what we do get is his backstory. We get it to a degree. Mm. He, how he had to, unfortunately, with any massive trauma, um, all agents are usually sent to a psychologist. He goes, he doesn't want to be there. Then he does open up and he starts telling quite a lovely story about a woman who he <laughs> kind of sits down with every Tuesday. I think it was every Tuesday, he says. No, he says, he says every night. He says, today is Tuesday, so that's pizza night. He says every night that he sits down with this girlfriend, <laughs> Julie, uh, who he talks to and tells all of his private pains, and she's able to help him get through his horrible days. And that's when he's told by the psychologist, oh, fine, great, at least you got that support. You're okay to go for go back on duty. Um what begged the question for me, actually, Chris, you were talking about whether this guy is a SWAT sniper for the FBI or whether he's a police sniper. The psychologist actually says to him at the beginning of the conversation, he says, I don't know why you're not on leave. You're supposed to be on administrative leave at the moment. Why aren't you? And I'm wondering, 
was he in the employ of Fisk, possibly? You know, did people not notice that he wasn't supposed to be on the team? Because it feels like the psychologist actually saying to him, now, after having this meeting, you're able to go back to work. But when was he not supposed to be in work? So we do see him. He's the one who goes, move it, convict. When Fisk is led out of the cell to the the vehicles. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Yeah, so he he's... Uh, and the only reason, the only reason I remember this is because the camera distinctly does not focus on him okay it slightly blurs him Mm. but just enough that you can get the features and stuff but he's not hey this is almost the main character and he's a well-known actor so we're going to kind of put him in like beautiful 4k clarity Mm. it's just fuzzed he's just so he was there he is the fuzz but I do wonder. But I do wonder if he joined the SWAT team on the way. Then, if he, if it's not that he came out of his apartment, did he find a way to get himself on that particular detail and wasn't necessarily supposed to? It's, it's my point. I suppose the psychologist seems to be saying to him, "You're now able to go back to duty." But when was he off duty? When was he not there? Why aren't you on administrative leave? Is what he says to him. Well, now that I've had this conversation, you're able to go back to work, and he's made that judgment, judgment based on this. Very strange story about Julie, the girlfriend that he meets every night. Yeah, exactly. The way I took it was that after an incident like this, Mm -hmm. you are you are put on administrative leave. Yeah, maybe. It's like you've just watched all your team die. Yeah. So you are not fit for duty until we clear you. And he's been kind of still going to work. He's like, no, I'm I'm staying in Fisk detail Mm -hmm. like Ray kind of saying, no, 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 I will take this off when I need to take it off. People are dead and we need to honor their memory by getting the job done. Yeah. Well, for me, I have to say this is my newest favorite character. Uh, absolutely. Um, Special Agent Dex, Poindexter. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, the name is funny. Uh, yes, I kind of slightly relate to it in a Milhausian kind of way. Uh, but certainly, <laughs> I just really, really enjoyed finding out that whole backstory of say Chris, that conversation with his um doctor whilst he's having that psych evaluation, uh, because this guy has to be cleared for duty. So I for me I think he's you know he's absolutely a genuine SWAT sniper. Um, that's what he is. His job is as a sniper, and he calls that out really specifically that, you know, he's not carrying an Uzi, he's not got a submachine gun, it is sniper duty mm-hmm. within that SWAT team. That's not to say that he's not also got a little side project going on, because I do think his relationship with Fisk is really kind of interesting. As I said, um, you kind of get the impression that Fisk does know him you know he goes i owe you i've never seen a talent like yours where did you acquire it you know he knows his name straight off the bat this may have come from ben donovan you know this is the detail that are looking after you here these are the cops uh, or the fbi agents or whatever Mm -hmm. um but i think the moment where he goes you know if i wore a mask the press would be calling me a hero Mm -hmm. instead i have to justify why i protected myself so you're just thinking in that moment is that his crux with people like daredevil luke cage and maybe why ultimately he could just be in this moment having that act like ray nadim that he is in the employee of Wilson Fisk. He is that plant within the FBI uh, special operations team within the SWAT. So I, I thought that was really good. Um, I have to I, say the, the 
department psychologist that's that's treating him does have that moment where he drops the kind of pretense of what he's there for and just kind of goes, forget all about this psychology stuff. How are you doing? You know, it's that moment where you go, if a psychologist does this with a person that they're supposed to be clearing for uh, for to go back to work, it seems like they have a genuine worry that, you know, this idea that he may go postal in the future is a genuine concern. It really feels like that psychologist is looking at him going, you are on the point of breaking here and you're not letting me in. I just want to know, are you are you okay? Because if I don't ask this question right now, maybe tomorrow you're going to go out and shoot up a town full of people or, you know, shoot up a shopping mall or something, you know? Um, it really does feel like the psychologist has just stopped going through the checklist of questions and gone, maybe this is the only point we have to have this conversation with you. And yes, this is where we hear about Julie. Or as... The doctor says his support system. Yes. <laughs> I love that, system. actually. Do you have a support system? She prefers to be called Julie. Mm-hmm. Does he know that for sure, though? Because uh, we get the creepiest moment that we've seen on screen for quite a long time. As uh, as Dex goes for dinner uh, from a car in the distance across the road from a pizza parlor. As, I guess, Julie goes in across the road to a pizza parlor to get a piece of pizza. He's sitting in his heart, car eating away. The big question for me, and it's kind of just on a level of creepiness here, all right? Is Julie someone that was formerly in a relationship with Special Agent Poindexter? Or is it even creepier and it's just some random woman that he's been following around every single night of the week and picking up her pattern? Does she know him or not? It's a big question, and it really makes me question how creepy this guy actually is. Oh, 100%. He's he's creepy. He's like go go bananas creepy. Mm -hmm. He is not. He is two picnics short of a basket. (laughs) Like not even sandwiches short of a picnic. Uh He's beyond that. He's actually basket short of a picnic. So do we think this is a former girlfriend that he's following, or do we think this is a random woman on the street that has no idea that he's around? Because that's creepy as hell. I think in my mind, I would sense it's a random person that he is just following. (laughs) <laughs> that yeah, he has in his own wonderfully creepy way become attached to, and I think that's what makes him now so utterly freaky and creepy. Uh, is that this is yeah, just a random stranger mm-hmm. that he is almost keeping tabs on. I mean, it, it it is a bit like is it almost muscle memory as a FBI agent that stakeouts and all this kind of stuff, and he's doing that here, maybe, but. Uh, you know that there's a slightly unhinged element to him with that psych evaluation. So it just makes it so much more kind of dangerous feeling um, and and creepy. You're suddenly there looking at that uh, lady in the the pizza place going, oh, God, you don't know, do you? You really don't know Mm -hmm. what's going on uh, and potentially how much danger you're in. So, uh, yeah, this this was fantastic. And again, I think that's why... He's one of my favorite new characters mm. in that sense. I like this horror aspect that yeah. he has just brought by sitting in the dark, in the car, watching this woman go to pick up her Tuesday night pizza or, or whatever it is. And it's like, oh, wow, you're that bad. 
Like I'm expecting her to walk out of the pizza place a couple of minutes later and see him standing at the back of his car, his arm in a sling and ask her to, you know, would you mind grabbing the other side of that couch and push it into the back of my van there, love, please? Um, like in Silence of the Lambs. This is like Jeffrey Dahmer levels of crazy. Yeah, know? it's Buffalo Bill Wings. That's the one that she's getting. <laughs> nice. I think he probably met her mm-hmm. um, in a very kind of like he picked up a piece of something for her uh, when she dropped her bag and he gave it back to her. And then his mind has started filling in these imaginary blanks where they actually dated and they're together. And so he's fully unhinged. Mm -hmm. I've tried to see, is there a comic book story around this or some kind of connection? There's nothing I can find. So if any of our fellow defenders are aware of a Julie in the comic book side, please send us an email. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't put it in the group because it may spoil things for uh, other fellow defenders who are not aware of certain things mm-hmm. or aware across everything. Send us an email, feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com because I'm actually trying to rack my brain. I don't know if there is a, a comic connection, but I do think that this is showing us how unhinged Point Dexter yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Um, because I hope they do go that they never met. Because if it's an ex-girlfriend, then he's just the creepy ex-boyfriend. But if he's never actually, if they're not together or never were together, and he just yeah. kind of created, brushed, a, relationship created a relationship, mm-hmm. and he's talking to her and she watching her through binoculars, that makes it so much more better. It makes it so much more creepy. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And on that creepy note, that's the end of our top five case notes for this episode. Guys, we went through a third episode of Daredevil with mentioning that character's name. I am so impressed. Well done, guys. Well done. Well done. Thank Keep you. It going. Keep it going. Uh, Chris, is any notes that we've missed out so far on the show? So I, I'm not going to go into it too much. Um, the, I, I know you guys have talked about how this was kind of adapted. I don't want to say adapted from Born, the Born Again arc and the Guardian Devil arc. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the, the, They were inspirations, most likely, for yeah. this. Yeah. Like you can see in this episode, episode, the madness of Matt Murdock, the craziness that's in there, that definitely inspired, but different from Born Again. Exactly. Like the hallucinating of Fisk. Mm-hmm. So in Born Again and Guardian Devil, he doesn't full on uh kind of see a hallucination of fisk mm. he he just that kind of fractured psyche is kind of present well, let's say fisk doesn't talk to him in exactly. the hallucinations he has of him yes exactly i just say i, I had to be careful because i don't want to ruin the comic book True. either True. so i'm trying to be very but th- there's a lot there again like matt being um very mean to foggy mm-hmm. like again it's in there um but in the comic books, it was more because he kind of pressure and depression and things like that. So if you haven't read the Born Again or the Guardian Devil kind of arcs, I recommend just checking them out. There's mm-hmm. fantastic pieces of work. And you'll understand that they, they, they're not ripping like full on chunks out of it. They're, they're just kind of, it's inspiring a lot of this stuff. So have a read and you'll see. And I'll try not to mention it every episode. I'll, I'll pull it in if it is a very much a direct call out or things like that mm-hmm. um but yeah we that's will all get you to buy that comic book fellow defenders i promise we will advertise it every week until you buy it enjoy it <laughs> it's really good john do you have any notes yeah mine's just a little fun one uh it's kind of a skit of the beatles really uh which is always a good thing um which <laughs> is when uh blake tower's campaign manager uh when he's asking her about the speech she goes 
Too Many Togethers sounds like a Beatles song. Um, <laughs> yeah. So not a fan, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, excellent. That's two of us. Then. You and her would get on yes. very well, John. Excellent. <laughs> and Chris, since you haven't been here for a while, I think you should take the opportunity to tell us whether you defend this episode of Daredevil. Season three, episode three, No Good Deed. So I defend this episode, gentlemen, um, and primarily on what is being revealed and of course that beautiful fight scene what i do want to bring up is and i said it to my to to my fellow co-hosts this the end of season two had me worried for a drag if we want to call it that a slowing of the storytelling pace um and i know it, it was quite rapid but i felt that Potentially, that was more like a one and a half episode versus two full episodes. And it was just, I suppose, I want to see Matt back in his suit. I want to see the characters to at a point where we know they're going to get to. So I'm kind of more enthusiastic. So I feel that was probably what felt it was slowing things down for me. But in this episode, this kind of ramped it up again. So I think, yes, I, I fully defend this episode. So far, the three have been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you were pointing a gun up to my head, I think it is again now, of course, because it's Marvel and it's Netflix episode after episode, season after season, they're getting better at this. Um, so this so far is probably some of the best storytelling we've seen to date. Right. Um, it's not perfect again. And as I said, I felt it could have been potentially sped up a bit more, but this season, this episode three has fixed it. And I think that could have just been on me. Um, So I fully defend this episode. And let's move on to episode four straight away. Mm -hmm. John, do you defend this episode of Daredevil? I do defend this episode of Daredevil. I give it four and a half foggy birth and eagles out of five. (laughs) Uh, I really enjoyed this. I, I think Matt Murdock and his white devil was just uh, amazing. That descent into isolation, uh, pushing away Foggy uh, in the bar, I thought really, really tragic. Um, But again, just so well done between these two. Again, the White Devil playing with his fears, playing with his suspicions, um, and you can just see that this is going to isolate Matt Murdock uh, ever more so. Uh, And in fact, Sister Maggie almost being his point of human connection here uh, as well in that she is challenging him and he will listen to her, whereas he didn't with with Foggy in the bar. I loved the consequences of the attack on the convoy, transferring Wilson Fisk and seeing... um, that intrigue now with this these nested companies that that Karen is starting to investigate, and again, just seeing that um, really good like sort of role of, of hers as an investigative journalist, uh, having the respect of Ellison, but him still standing his grounds. You know, he has that really uh, great line where he says. It took Ben Ulrich 20 years to be that pain in my side. Really nice. I like the interchange of those two characters this season for sure. Um, and of course, for me, I am, I must say the introduction here, uh, a bit more of, um, special agent Poindexter. I'm really enjoying this character. Um, okay. We haven't said who he is likely to become yet. Um, and we will do probably when he becomes that person exactly. in the show. But 
Poindexter, uh, just creepy goodness here. Um, uh, certainly as he has that psych evaluation and then seeing really what Julie means to him, which is certainly not that support system, uh, like he was, uh, saying to, to the doctor. And um, so, you know, we see here he's a good liar. So is he lying when he's in the penthouse, uh, apartment of the presidential hotel with Wilson Fisk? So, massively interesting character here to start to explore in the upcoming uh, episodes so uh, again yeah my favorite character and not just because he's a swat either and <laughs> um, so yeah definitely defend this episode of daredevil derek do you defend episode three no good deed best episode of daredevil so far not season three of daredevil of daredevil so far every single character has a great moment in this episode from karen page to foggy nelson to matt murdoch to kingpin to the new characters ray and and dex both have great moments in this episode as well just so good top to bottom um if they keep up this kind of quality this is going to be the best show and i didn't think i would say that after luke cage season two and after iron fist season two this year i didn't think i would be coming into daredevil thinking this is going to be the best show after those two. I thought that was an impossible task for me. So let's keep it going. Let's get on to episode four and uh, keep watching these shows. Excellent, excellent stuff. Fantastic. So, gentlemen, let's get on to some feedback for the first three episodes. But mm -hmm. before we do that, Derek. Yeah, I just want to say a quick shout out to Ryan. Thank you so much for your voicemail that you sent us on on your feedback about the Chio Hadari Coker interview that we did, the, the showrunner for Luke Cage. Uh, we were so proud of the interview and we're so glad you really enjoyed it. But I just couldn't think of a way of putting the, your feedback on the podcast for this episode if it's all right uh we've shared it around the guys and we are so thankful to you for taking the time out of your day to send us in a voicemail feedback about the interview that we did thanks so much i'm glad you enjoyed it too yes thank you so much yeah absolutely thank you so much ryan for um your feedback it's really uh really good of you thank you so fellow collective podcast so ray gave us some feedback for episode one saying my god still about 15 minutes to go but just had to write in such a compelling drama I'm on a bit of a high. Standard interaction would have to be between Matt and Sister Maggie. Great dialogue and moments between the two. Seeing Fisk for the brief moment reminded me how chilling he is. Mm -hmm. Karen and Foggy were great to see again. Foggy, no doubt, doing quite well for himself. I want to point out the camera work and the use of close-ups and depth of field. I think Olsen really has stamped his own style here. And I love how he showed Matt suffering with the dull, impaired senses. Brilliant. Brilliant first episode, and I still have 15 minutes to go. <laughs> P.S. This is akin to reading the comics. High praise indeed for a TV series. Thank you so much, Ray. Yep, great feedback. And yeah, we I'm kind of there with you on how Olsen has kind of stamped that style. We don't have the world on fire, but we still get that sense of mm -hmm. the world on fire through the depth of field and things like that. So yeah, really, really uh, fantastic work from Olsen there. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Ray. Um, yeah, the, the style is excellent. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really well done how, how he's, um, bringing his stamp to, to this show, not just on style, but I think with pacing, with story arc at the moment. Um, I, I definitely am with you. Yeah. It's like reading a comic. It feels really good. Yeah. Debbie Fisher goes really, really, really liked episode one. 
Like the scenes in the church slash orphanage, we got to see a snippet of how Matt grew up there. Joanne Wally is fantastic as Sister Maggie. Mm -hmm. Just what Matt needs. Like the shots in the church. I like seeing him regain his strength and see him regaining his senses. I'm glad we didn't spend the whole episode in a pity party. Not sure I like the new dark Matt that is drowning in guilt, but I guess this is where his mindset needs to be to deal with Fisk. Mm. I like seeing Foggy and Karen right away. I'm so glad Karen is still taking care of Matt's apartment. It looked like repairs had been done. True. Overall, a great start to season three. Absolutely, Debbie. Um, I think uh, Sister Maggie... Joanne Wally is fantastic here. She is kind of his voice of reason. It's that counterpoint to his dark, brooding, guilty self. And she's not indulging him. I think that's the great thing about her. Uh, and yes, completely agree that Foggy and Karen being up front and center, a bit like Wilson Fisk, rather than being hidden in the way that I felt they were for season two, it is good to have it. It really fleshes out the story. Uh, and again, I think that goes back to Olsen's uh, stamp on this. It's it's really, really nicely done, I think. Mm-hmm. Nice catch, Debbie, on the uh, on the repairs that needed to be done to the apartment as well, because the last time we saw it, there was a bit of damage. Uh, that apartment has seen a lot of action uh, and not the greatest in the world. Yeah, Jeff Charles goes on, well... I never got results like that from a Nessie pot. <laughs> absolutely. Talk about apartment damage. <laughs> I love that. Yes, absolutely. Um, if that much blood came out of my nose, um, I would probably stand screaming at the sink in the bathroom. And <laughs> um, I'd probably be calling 999 mm-hmm. uh, right away because that's just not right. Uh, well, if you're in New York, the police would never come, would they, if you called 999 either? <laughs> or 911. That's it. <laughs> Or 165. <laughs> Something like that. The real number 912, as they say in The Simpsons. Uh, Robert Phillips says, Cracking episode. Loved being reintroduced to all the big names in the first episode. Karen and Foggy deciding they were out of time. Kingpin breaking his heart over the one he loved. And Matt losing his religion. Particularly impressed by the paler, coarser, flabbier and thinner Vincent D'Onofrio and his performance. Loved the high-class omelette introduction to him again. Ronaldo replied, Nothing spells class like having Chopin Nocturne in your head whilst eating an omelette from a paper plate <laughs> class. absolutely class Wilson Fisk fantastic thanks so much for the feedback uh, Robert cracking episode it's absolutely the best description of that first episode really good seeing everybody back it would have been so easy just to do an hour of reintroducing it to the characters but they moved them all along really well and put them all in a really interesting setting to start off the season and I have to ask Ray what are you doing in my kitchen on a Sunday morning If how do you know <laughs> I am eating my omelette from a paper plate listening to chopping <laughs> Moving on, Jamie Alexander had this to say. Love this slowly paced opening episode, easing us back into Hell's Kitchen after being away so long. Love the flashback to Karen's reaction to Matt telling her that he's Daredevil. The frustration Matt feels at his newfound limitations is visceral. It's been such a long wait, but already worth it. Yeah, yeah, it, the, those flashbacks kind of as a whole, just not even just the Matt's reaction, but even when Matt as a child, fantastic Absolutely. And Chris didn't say heart emoji either. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't. I didn't. I'm trying to stop saying smiley face emoji, tongue sticking out emoji, because I want to just fully for our audio po- podcast listeners, mm-hmm. really get them understand what I'm trying to say, or they don't miss every beat. So they really feel that they are there in the room, in the discussion comments with us. Nice. So, yeah, this is like an audio emoji. track. Yeah. Mm hmm. Exactly. Audio description tracky. Yes. Yeah. 
Exactly. Or you could just come and join us over at our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV podcast and join the conversation about these episodes. Just like Doug Green did, he said the cinematography was amazing. The reds and shadows when Matt is in the basement was beautiful. Sister Maggie was an instant favorite. Great first episode. Yes. Did I catch a bit of yellow in there as well? I thought I got a bit of red, a bit of yellow, and I was like, oh, that's nice. Just a a hint of yellow. Most more red, but a hint of yellow. Hmm. So closing out our comments for episode one, Mike Brown had this to say, very strong start. Just like Iron Fist season two, it looks like the producers have a very clear plan for what's going to happen over this series of episodes. And they're setting things in motion without it feeling rushed. I enjoyed everything until the last two scenes where the dialogue is almost literally your financial problems make you a target for criminals who would seek to blackmail you and extort you. Now, if there's nothing else, I need you to go back to talk to the millionaire criminal mastermind in prison for, let me check my notes, ah, yes, blackmail, (laughs) corruption, and extortion. Off you go. Thank you for Excellent. Yes. Uh, yeah, no, and it did actually feel like that. And that just even how I was reading it in my head and out loud just made me go, Yeah, that was, yeah, <laughs> it was a bit scripted. But we have to see. I think they're playing an old switcheroo, Mike. I think they're playing an old switcheroo. Yeah, I think, I think switcheroo is on the cards here for uh, Reina Deem as well. Yeah, we have some episode two feedback as well. Jeff Charles goes, Love Matt's detective work. But I did not see Fisk's story going in that direction. But then he's just a prisoner of love. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, Jeff Charles. Even the most psychotic people in the world can be prisoners of love. Mm-hmm. I yeah. know from experience. Yeah, and Jamie Alexander goes, I think Eric Olsen promised more character depth for Foggy and Karen. I couldn't be happier. Foggy's family is exactly how I always imagined them. Yes, Jamie, alcoholics, um, for hey, sure. Hey, they're, they're, they're Irish <laughs> descendants. Know, what, I'm just saying. What... It's like they like meat, whiskey, wine, a lot of big family. Then you know they're Irish. Exactly. And they have uh, Irish tea up on the shelves as well. I think Ben uh, over on Facebook also uh, spotted that they had lion's tea up mm-hmm. on the shelves. Yes. Good catch, Ben. So after, you know... Several bottles of red wine, number of glasses of Jameson's. You can make sure you're back on track again with a good, strong builder's cup of tea uh, from Lions. Exactly. Or Barry's. <laughs> Other teas are available. Um, Debbie Fisher goes on about episode two and says, Fisk getting released, escorted, and then his entourage attacked. Who was behind it? Interesting question, Debbie, especially after episode three. Hmm. Was someone behind the actual attack as well? Uh, she says, Karen believing the man in the glass mask is Daredevil. Yes. Foggy and his family. I liked seeing that. Uh, Matt finding the right dry cleaners and taking them down. So nice. It will be interesting to find out what's happening inside Matt's brain with his fogginess. Is it from the explosion? Has he not let himself heal completely? I guess we'll find out. So much going on in episode two, Debbie. Yeah, really good moments. Yeah, especially after episode three, you do kind of start to wonder who was behind the initial attack on Fist Convoy, was it actually him? Mm-hmm. Was it not? Who knows? Who knows? Well, we probably will know in a couple of episodes. But uh, anyway, right now we don't. Moving on to episode three, this episode, we have feedback from Jamie Alexander over on our Facebook group saying, Matt's always been a tortured soul. Having an imaginary Fisk as a devil on his shoulder is perfection. Mm-hmm. When Dex 
was talking about his girlfriend, Julie, to the counselor slash psychologist. I had a feeling he was probably lying. I didn't expect him to be such a creep, though. Suddenly, the line between talented FBI agent and bad antagonist is incredibly thin. Oh, sorry, Pops. Here's a dollar for your swear jar. God, I love this show. Right there with you, Jamie. Yeah, no, some thank you for the feedback. And uh, Dex, talking about his girlfriend, Julie, as we've already talked about, it was really... Um, we think he's lying, and then we later find out he is. So, yeah, glad we got that. But lying in such a creepy, creepy way. Absolutely. <laughs> I, but I must say, I am really liking <clears throat> Dex. <laughs> oh, this is it. Gentlemen. We will Jamie, be able to talk so about this. Much. We will be able to talk about this in the future. I promise. We absolutely will. And Jamie, I'll uh, pop you over my my address for that dollar for with this word. Thanks for calling me Pops. <laughs> well, it's, it's your okay, birthday. <laughs> Getting more poppier by the day. <laughs> Thanks so much for all of the feedback on all the first three episodes. If you want to send us in any feedback at all, you can go over to our website at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Leave a voicemail on there. Just click the voicemail button on the right-hand side of the screen. You can email us at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Or you can do what most people are doing. As you can see, pop on over to the Facebook group at Facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV Podcast. We'll have a spoiler post up for each of the episodes as we've watched them, and you can pop in your feedback uh, so we can talk about them. Yes, thank you so much, fellow Defenders. We'll be back for our next podcast, which is Daredevil Season 3, Episode 4, Blindsided, which will be out later this week. Mm-hmm. So yeah. for now, let's um, go with Dex and uh, have a lovely dinner with his uh, girlfriend. I'm off to see Julie. For a bit of pizza. We could just have a family date. I'm off to eat pizza in a car with a girl I've never met before. (laughs) Or just watching a girl I've never met before. Okay. She's not in the car. (laughs) You have to be at least 50 feet to 100 yards away to make it creepy. And that's just kind of like you're having a fight. But when she's 100 yards away and you're spying on her through a telescope, yeah, that's kind of creepy. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, fellow defenders, thank you so much for sticking with us on this podcast and we will see you in the next episode where someone is blindsided based on the, the episode <laughs> title <laughs> thank you so much bye yeah as always fellow defenders it has been a pleasure speaking with you i'm off to be a sniper swat the best sniper swat i can be <laughs> uh, but when i'm back we'll speak with you again soon bye Was the bells going off, by the way, while you guys were talking? Yeah. Okay, that's it. You can barely, barely hear them. We jokingly, the other night, we just continued recording through like 20 minutes of bells and went, hey, it's Daredevil. It doesn't really matter if you have bells in the background. It actually serves the purpose. Exactly. <laughs> if you were doing special effects for this podcast, you would put bells behind every word we said, you know. And I think, Derek, you probably wrote this Apex Predator. Well, I wrote something like uh, that, Chris. I'm not sure whether wow. all those letters were in there, or I think there were a few more. Pressure, pressure, pressure. <laughs> it's like whis- whiskle, 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 Wow, we're all tired. Uh, that was <laughs> brilliant. Well, that. That. No, no, no. That that was a nice segue. Yes, I'm talking about case note number five, special agent Point Dexter. Point Dexter. <laughs> oh, <God damn> it. <laughs> 
So, gentlemen, he we get the full history. No, just let Chris say case number five, oh, and we'll fun. shut up for a second. Go ahead. That was funny. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. It was funny, and I'll keep most of it. Yeah. But okay. I'm glad we didn't spend the whole episode in a pity park. Not sure I like the new dark mat. That pity park. Pity party. Sorry. <laughs> I want to go to a pity I park. I want to go to a pity park. It sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> Although a pity party sounds awesome too. But anyway.